The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys, and welcome to a new episode of Unique Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat, and I am the host here. Before we get started, this is my friendly, quick reminder that although I am a therapist, this is not a replacement or a substitute for actual mental health services. Although, I wouldn't hate if they were a help along the way of you getting actual mental health services. This week, I am bringing you a conversation that I've been wanting to bring you for a very long time, and we're going to talk about autism and specifically one individual's take on being autistic and discovering that diagnosis in her 40s. Our guest is Lauren Ober, and she was all the things. She was fun. She was funny. She was thought-provoking. Her perspective and opinions on things really made me stop and, and think and rework some thoughts on some things I had been carrying with me for a long time, and she was also really kind. Lauren is a podcast host herself, and she's also a producer. She's currently the host and executive producer of The Loudest Girl in the World, and this is a podcast that you can find wherever podcasts can be found, and it's a show all about Lauren's later-in-life autism diagnosis. She is also the host and executive producer of Fine Gorilla Person, and this you can find on Audible. It sounds like something I really want to listen to. Uh, the New Yorker wrote that the show is for people who want to feel newly furious at all the ways our culture demands that monkeys dance for our enjoyment. Before that, she hosted and produced Spectacular Failures from APM Studios. The show was one of Time Magazine's top 10 podcasts of 2019 and was named Best Business Podcast in the 2020 New York Festival's Radio Awards, which is a big deal. She also created, hosted, and produced NPR's The Big Listen, a nationally distributed radio broadcast about podcasts. So I think it goes without saying she's done a lot of cool things and I can let you know after talking to her, she seems like a pretty cool person and she offers just a lot of wisdom 
at the end of this conversation, if you want to then learn more about her and find her or find her content, consume any of her content, you can find her on Instagram at at Ober and Out. That's O-B-E-R and Out, which I thought was like such a clever Instagram handle. So yeah, I'm excited for you to hear this. I was excited to have this conversation and there's just so many good nuggets in there. So I hope you enjoy it. Here is my conversation with Lauren Ober. Welcome Lauren to Uni Therapy. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I'm, I'm just thinking like I do actually currently in my head need therapy. Like at this very precise moment. <laughs> so I'm like, this is really great timing. Don't we all? Yeah. yeah. I think we all do. Yeah, yeah. So I want to start this off before we get into like the juicy things of what we're going to talk about with a little Cliff Notes version of who you are, where you're from, where you are now, what you do for work, and then also what you thought you wanted to do when you're younger. Oh my God, it's too many questions for an autistic brain to handle. <laughs> so you're going to have to go one by one. You know? we'll do one. Okay. First, who are you? Where are you from? Oh, okay. My name is Lauren Ober. I am a journalist and a podcast host, most recently the host of the show, The Loudest Girl in the World. I also had a show that came out a month before that called Fine Gorilla Person, which is a totally different show. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It is the only city for me. I don't live there, though. I live in Washington, D.C., but I'm a huge Pittsburgher um, in my heart and soul. Do you wish you still lived there? Of course. Every day. I could just yeah. pick up and move. But you know how things go when you're an adult. You buy a house. You oh, have yeah. a partner. Maybe your partner has children in a particular school district. You know how it is. <laughs> yeah, it's not that easy. Okay, so you're a podcaster producer now. But when you were younger, I love this question because sometimes it just ends up being very interesting. Did, was there something that you wanted to do when you were younger? No. Uh, and no? no, so, so I am not a future thinker. Like, yeah. I think, I think a lot of autistic and neurodivergent people are not future thinkers in a way. So there are a lot of things that have captured my attention over the years, but not a lot of things where, you know, from a young age, I was like, I'm going to do this thing more. Yeah. I really want to do this thing. It was like, there are so many things I would like to do. I, I can't, how could I possibly pick one or just sort of not even knowing what jobs are out there. I feel like when you're a little kid, you know that you could be like a dentist or a zookeeper, you know, <laughs> and that's it. When I was younger, everybody wanted to be like a teacher or a nurse or a marine biologist. Yeah, the marine biologist is really interesting because it's like there are only like three. And, yeah, exactly. and kids, <laughs> kids who like lived in like Idaho were like, I'm going to be a marine biologist. It's like, well, uh. good luck to you. You don't even live near the ocean. But um <laughs> Yeah, I know. I you know, I think I just had a lot of interests as a kid, and yeah. and even in college, I mean, I my major had absolutely nothing to do with journalism or what I do now. Oh, or, what was it? I studied uh, justice and public affairs, which is basically like a government politics whatever degree. And I don't know what I thought I was going to do, like join the FBI or something. And then, and then I thought I would go to law school, and I took the. My dad's a lawyer, and I was like, I guess I could just be a lawyer. Uh, and then I went, you know, I took the LSATs and got in the 30th percentile. And my dad was like, even idiots can be lawyers. And I was like, well, I, not this idiot. Um, so <laughs> that was not even a thing. And, yeah, I'm making myself sound really great right now. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, this actually is great. This is why I love this question, because you find those people who, like, had this passion for something when they were younger and they just like steamrolled into it and then you find people like 
I didn't really know. And I think the the point you made of you don't know what jobs are available. Like, I didn't know that this was a job you could have. And so, of course, I didn't pick it. And when I went to college, I went to college to be a nurse. I cannot even look at my own blood. So it's just like... <laughs> But I didn't know what else to do. And so it's like, you're a business major, you're a fashion major, you're this major. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. And so I do like the idea of like, one, I didn't know. Also, there's a million more things I might still want to do. And two, I went to college and got this major and it might have been cool or helpful at a time. But like, I don't know that it directed the trajectory of my life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And also... You know, I'm a firm believer, but I'm also quite old that college is not necessarily, you know, something that needs to be a direct pipeline into a job. It could just be sort of developing you as a human or or, you know, getting you ready for the real world where you have to use critical thinking skills and possibly you have to become a better writer and all of these things like a pre-professional program in college to me is it would not be great for me although college is very expensive so people need to know that they're gonna make that money back somehow I don't know it's not my business uh <laughs> it's not my problem to solve um I'm just a person yeah. with opinions so yeah but I kind of fell into journalism which I love I fell into having a podcast yeah well so there you go it's great there you go <laughs> Okay, so before we get into the later things, I want to start with this because I have to give full disclosure. So I'm a therapist. I went to school, obviously grad school, to be a therapist. You have to do that. And we learned a lot of things. But one thing that I think is a misconception is that if you work in mental health or you're a therapist, you just like know everything about everything. When really I know like, I know a lot about my specific type of clients that I work with. Yep. I work a lot with eating disorders, a lot with trauma, addiction, that kind of stuff. Also, I went to school 10 years ago, so I think that has something to do with right. it. But they teach us things that then, uh, what's the right word for this? Like oversimplified, and we miss a lot of nuance. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I liked about you before I met you was that you sent me that document of language, which was amazing because... That's one of those spaces because I have this like internal part of me that's like, I never want to say the wrong thing or mm -hmm. or use the wrong language because it was like hammered into us how important language is when we're working with clients and how not to use these kinds of labels and use person first language. And so that's in my head. And so I'm always I'm using that across the board. But you gave me this document that like, I'm not kidding. I read it like 10 times. Because I was like, I have to remember this. I have to remember this. I have to remember this. But then you also said, and I know you're a talker. I'm also a talker. So this will be really interesting. <laughs> but you also said it's okay to get it wrong, but it's not okay not to try to get it right. Something along those lines. Yes. Which thank you, because that like brings my anxiety down a little bit. Yeah. So I want you to talk before we get into this conversation about language when it comes to autism because I feel like there's so many different ways to say something similar but they aren't all the same to everybody if that makes sense sure I mean in the same way that you qualified that you know you're a therapist but your expertise and interest is in x area and there are a million areas that you could have gone in like there's no realm in which you would know everything having to do with mental health and why should you you know I know my corner of autism, which is me, 
Um, and I can yeah. tell you history and I can tell you, you know, where things sort of stand right now. But I can only really definitively talk about my own experience and what I know to be true about me, but also, you know, in the sort of wider autism community, and I say that in quotes, what is sort of in the ether, what is the sort of zeitgeist within that particular community. But within that, there could be a million possibilities of, you know, there could be a million interpretations or people want to be called X or, you know, I'm I'm gay. I'm part of the big, broad, you know, rainbow LGBTQ plus community. And I think that within that, it you know, for a lot of people, language is really important, but there are a lot of people for whom it isn't. And it's easiest just to ask and be curious, I think. So I put together a little language guide for folks because I knew we'd be talking about this show a lot. And I think that it serves two purposes. One, it makes an interviewer feel more comfortable and confident in the language that they're using. And it also makes me feel like I don't have to explain myself a million times. I'm doing this in like a professional capacity, but when you're a person in the world, you can't sort of just like hand out a like a cheat sheet for everybody. But you know, look, I I I, I I'm 44. I I don't get fussed. Like I get misgendered. I get you know misidentified. I get you know uh, people saying that. Like, oh, I can't say the word lesbian. I'm like, I don't care. I'm lesbian. I'm gay. I'm a queer person. Like, call me what it doesn't really matter to me because I'm not I'm a I'm I am attached to my identity in as much as it sort of individually shapes who I am. Like, but, you know, out in the world, like I can't. I can't. What what is the what is the phrase? uh, Somebody else's opinion of me is no business of mine. You yeah, know, I kind of take that tack. Like, I can't do anything about it. If you're, if you feel a certain way or you say a certain thing, it's like, yeah, who cares? But that's me. Mm-hmm. That's me. And a, yeah. for for a lot of other people, particularly younger folks, I think language is really, really important. But I think across the board, you know, within the autism community, identity first language is very important because, like, it's just sort of who you are. It's not like, a, let's see. Okay, I wouldn't say that I'm a person with homosexuality. I just say I'm a gay person. So I'm an autistic person. I'm a gay person. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a gin- I'm a ginger haired person. It's just like it's it's baked in the essence of the person. Yeah. Well, I like what you also said, too, in that document of if you meet one autistic person, you've met one autistic person and you can't just like generalize that to everybody. I think that probably speaks to so many different things like you're saying And I think it's also important because I have this reel in my head and I don't know what other people have in their head, but I know people that went to my program have a reel in my head and I would have never been like, Lauren is autistic. I never would say that. I would be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like if that came out and like the thing is, that's what you prefer. Sure. So I think it's just I, I what I'm getting from you is one, everybody's different and what they prefer and what somebody else's prefer and also it's okay to ask people I think people are afraid to ask what feels right or good to you and there's room to mess up yeah I think that the world needs more grace around a lot of things but I also understand that if you're in a marginalized community of any kind and you are identified in a way that does not feel right or 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 correct for you, that that can be a huge slight. It can be diminishing, can be dehumanizing in a lot of ways. You know, I think that 
uh, at least in sort of neurodivergent autistic circles, identity first language is very important because it's not pathologizing. It's not saying like a person with autism, like what is autism? It's really, it's really, cause it's complicated. It's like my brain functions in a particular way, but it's not necessarily a pathology. It's not a disease for a lot of, I mean, it is technically mm-hmm. a disability it is a developmental disability. And for a lot of people, they identify you know, a lot of autistic people identify as disabled. I think that's for every person to decide, but it it's a condition more than anything. Um, and it's just a difference. I mean, like, I think it's a lot, it falls in the same line as like you're a dyslexic person, but that just like is, it's just one part of you and you can own that, but it's not like the sum total of of who you are, unless you want it to be. And then it is. I mean, look, identity is really thorny, isn't it? And so it's and it's very individual. And mm-hmm. I feel a particular way and I can't speak for anybody else, except I do know that, you know, sort of within the community writ large, identity first language really matters. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. And thank you for making that guide. As much as it like gave me anxiety, it also calmed my anxiety at the same time. Yeah. If that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me. <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to catch you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, 
and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. This is going to be a long-winded question, and I'm going to let you, like, run with it, take some wings with it, as much time. But I want you, in your own way, start from wherever you want, but... What led you to start this new podcast that you have, Loudest Girl in the World? I will say, I listened to the the trailer and then I started listening to the first episode and then I stopped myself because I was like, I don't want to know any of this yet because I didn't know if it was going to be some some of that we would talk about. So I want you to just like tell me, tell us about like what even brought upon this new podcast that you have. I've been a journalist for 20 years. I've been a podcast host for seven years or so. I've worked in audio, worked in public radio for 10 years. And, you know, I always tell other people's stories. And that's great. That's what you do. You're a journalist. That's, you know, I if if I didn't want to tell other people's stories, I could just like write in a diary um, and I could tell my own story <laughs> to myself uh, or I could have a TikTok <laughs> or something. It's not for me. Yeah. Um, and so I've always been very interested in other people's stories. And then, you know, I think in the pandemic, a lot of things for me became clearer about sort of how I moved through the world, particular struggles that I had, mental health issues. And they and they sort of when you're not going through a global crisis, uh, or at least for me, you know, when all of your supports are in place, then you are able to sort of push whatever bad feelings are to the background. That's been my experience. It's like, I can move through the world. Like, I got my routine down, like my job set, like I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And there might be like a little hiccup here and there. But for me, the pandemic really sort of like broke a lot of things open in me, um, as, as it did for a lot of people. I mean, people quit their jobs, people left their spouses, you know, people sort of were like, I'm actually meant to be a concert pianist, not like a plumber. I don't know. I mean, I think it I think it changed a lot for people. So for me, you know, because I had always documented other people's stories, I sort of thought, well, I should document my own questioning, my own thoughts around this. I didn't think like, oh, I'm going to turn this into a podcast. It's just a reflex. I mean, it's what we, and you know, and people who make audio stories is sort of what we do. Like my phone is filled with recordings of nothing um, because we just record things. That's what we do. And so, you know, at some point I sought out a diagnosis because, you know, I was putting all the pieces together and the pieces, you know, and the full picture looked like, autism, neurodivergence. And for me, it was important to sort of get that validated. But also then I felt like if I didn't make a project out of it, I would never sort of engage with it. And I also thought, look, there's nothing out there in my medium that really speaks to what I'm going through, what I'm interested in learning about. Um, And so I figured I would just make it, I guess. You know, I think there are a lot of really great resources out there um, in sort of book form, and I've, I've read them all. Uh, and But I wanted to hear sort of a first-person account that that spoke to me and didn't really exist. And 
Yeah. So I just made it and stupidly made it because doing work about yourself is terrible. It's the worst thing ever. Uh, I would never recommend it. Uh, I don't know. What, why do you say that? Who wants to who wants to interrogate themselves like and make their themselves their job? I mean, I That's say fair. that knowing that like, you know, that the, the vast majority of like teenagers want to be TikTok stars. You know, I find it very uncomfortable. It's not my yeah. sort of native my native place to be people to me who make who write more than one memoir i'm like so you you didn't get enough of of how terrible it was like the first time it's like people who run multiple marathons i'm like one marathon wasn't (laughs) enough for you like you had to go back for more that's crazy to me so yeah i mean it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable recording conversations with your loved ones it's uncomfortable talking to people about things that you don't really know much about yourself it's it's probably more uncomfortable for the producers who worked on the show to have to go through like 100 hours of tape of like me talking to different people or like me being stupid or whatever uh so but yeah i mean you know and like the short answer to your question after i give you a very long answer is that like i kind of just felt compelled i i felt like it was a necessary thing in the way that i felt compelled to seek a diagnosis i just it felt like i was not in control of the situation it was more just forces walk me through that part because that part's super interesting to me and i think uh, you have a really i'm going to use the word cool i don't know if that fits for you but uh, your story is cool to me as is you're saying like the pandemic kind of like took all of these blinders off in a way where I could no longer ignore what I might have been ignoring. And so then I, I sought a diagnosis. So I'm really interested in like, what brought you to that point of, okay, I need to seek a diagnosis, especially because you were in your 40s when this happened, right? Like, it wasn't like you were 16. It was like you've been living with these things your whole life. Right. I mean, I think, you know, it didn't pop out of nowhere because I've been in therapy for 15 years. So there's a lot of work that's been done. You know, I have a very solid sort of therapeutic foundation and I've had I've worked with great therapists over the years. And so we've teased out a lot of challenges that I've had and sort of, you know, really trying to unpack why things felt like they were harder than they should have been. Like, why do I feel so much friction between me and the world? And what is that about? And I think that, you know, I grew up in the 80s. That was not a time when kids were recognized as having differences really at all. And certainly not, you know, girls, because girls are great at twisting themselves into just the right shape to fit in. I mean, you're sort of you know, folding yourself into a little origami crane in order to, like, float through the world with with few problems. And, you know, girls historically have done a really great job at what we call masking or hiding or camouflaging and in, in, in plain sight their challenges, their social challenges, um, their communication challenges, you know, sensory issues, what have you. And so, like, there's no world in which in the 80s I would have been flagged as anything other than an unruly kid in a classroom. But because of that, I think it mm-hmm. that, you know, we, we're, we're, we're so shaped by those years. And I was always in trouble. Uh, I was always in trouble for talking. I was always out in the hall. You know, I would be sitting out in the hall feeling a great amount of shame when a teacher would walk by or my classroom, my desk was often out in the hall. I don't know how you learn that way. But, um, 
you know, and and then my desk was next to the teachers. My desk was next. My desk was at the back of the classroom. My desk was at the back of the classroom with a cardboard partition around it, so I couldn't see any of my classmates. And so all of those things sort of lead you to a point where you say to yourself, like, I'm actually bad. Like it's me. Yeah. I'm bad. I'm a bad kid. I'm this. I'm that. And you tell yourself these stories, right? And we all tell ourselves stories about our, you know, ourselves that are not true. I like the idea of like, you know, feelings aren't facts. Uh, You feel bad, but it's not a fact that you're bad. But it's really hard to distinguish that when you're when you're in your teenage years, when you're in your early adulthood and these things get, you know, it gets set in your mind, you know, your self-image gets set in your mind. And so I think for me, you know, having a lot of sort of social difficulties or communication difficulties, whereas I could not stop talking you know, it just made me think like I'm defective, like there's something wrong with me. And I think that needing, feeling a need to get a diagnosis, which obviously I talked about with my therapist, like for a couple of years, even before I got a diagnosis, to me, it just felt like having a word allowed me to have a greater understanding of who I am and how my brain works. And I don't necessarily need to use that word for the rest of my life. I'm not ashamed of it, but I, it's more so that you understand that this is not because you're deficient or you're bad or whatever. It's because your brain functions in X way and a lot of people's brains function Y way Mm -hmm. and they're just a little bit different and that's okay. And then it allows me as an adult to advocate for myself to tell people what I need and also then to hold myself accountable and understand like if I'm feeling very high emotions about a thing and and somebody else is involved I can then say okay I'm feeling x way like I'm feeling this way I'm feeling triggered I'm feeling very emotional or I'm feeling whatever and I don't have to make it their problem and I think it's a it's a real like two way street there. But yeah, I mean, no one has to get a diagnosis, you know, for anything that's not going to kill them. Um, But it was important to me. And there are a lot of people who have self-identified as autistic, and that's perfectly fine, too, because as I note in the show, it's very hard to get a diagnosis that doesn't cost you a bajillion dollars. Oh, yeah. Well, as you were speaking, I actually... I love that you brought up that like I would get in trouble a lot and was kind of put in this category as a disruptive or bad kid because you were saying that and I was like, well, that's kind of a little bit of how I I felt growing up. I didn't know because they don't teach it in school. I didn't know what anxiety was. I didn't know what like we didn't know what like ADHD was or ADD back then or any we didn't we knew those were things, but they also were like. They, to me, they had the stigma of like, that's the like wild kid or that's the whatever. And so growing up, it, I experienced a lot of feelings and things. But what you said is like, women are really good at folding themselves into this thing. And so I think that's a lot of what I did of like, it was really, 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 really hard for me to do certain things. But I, I did them. And I always would have this thought of like, why is this so hard? Like, why is it so hard for me to sit down and study for my, I couldn't pull it all nighter if my life depended on it. Like, no, I no. could never do it. But in college, everybody was doing that. And I, I was know, like, I why thought it was I, so dumb. 
Well, yeah, nobody ever really studied I was, either. I was, like, so, I was like, if you have to pull an all-nighter, you have very poor time management. That, right. That's one thing. But like, I think that my head went to like, well, I can sit down and, and maybe read for like 30 minutes or study for 30 minutes. But then like I start like daydreaming and then I have to read the same page a hundred times. And But I made good grades. And so that meant something to the world that I was fine. Even though I would take this test, I would forget everything that I just learned. Yeah. Like that's part of the reason of like, I had to read that document that you sent me like 20 times. Cause I was like, okay, I got to, how do I get this to go yeah. somewhere in here and stay? Anyway, do you have ADHD? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I started to get like an idea kind of probably like what you said. Yeah. I didn't really know that that's something that I would have. Cause I'm like, surely somebody would have caught that. Yeah, and like, course. I don't have, I can sit down in my chair, even though I'm like, I'm switching my position every five minutes. And right. like, because who do you think, because who do you think uh, all the research was done on? It's done on boys. Boys. It was it's always all boys. Done on boys. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I should note, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know, there's the, the crossover of ADHD and autism is very high. I mean, the Venn diagram is practically one circle. And so, I mean, really like, I think that there, there are, we categorize things. We need to have a taxonomy for things. However, I don't know that it's necessarily helpful because really it's just like people whose brains work differently and they need certain accommodations and because their brains work differently, their bodies work differently or whatever. Um, and so, you know, to me, it's almost like a, a, a uh, what is they call it, uh, you know, distinction without a difference kind of thing. I, to me, I mean, I've, I, how many emails have I gotten from people already being like, you know, you have ADHD, don't you? You know, after the show came out and I was like, thank you. Are you a doctor? But also who cares? <laughs> like, yeah, it's more about just sort of understanding how you work and less about having a word. Oh, for yeah. It. Like having that power. Yes. The having the power to understand it, because my experience was I went to a psychiatrist to talk about anxiety, but I also didn't know what anxiety was until I like really went to school. And then I was like, wait a second, other people's brains don't do this. And then I went to talk to her about anxiety. And so she, we talked and it was like an intake. So it's pretty long. And then she was like, you have anxiety. But from my perspective, a lot of your anxiety is exacerbated by the fact that you might have ADHD. Yeah. And I felt very dumb too. Like I'm, like I said, I made good grades, but like I wouldn't be able to remember anything. And as a therapist, let me tell you, you have got to remember a lot of things. I know it always blows my mind. I'm like, how did you all remember all of that stuff? Like you remembered like literally what my dog's name was like from four dogs ago. <laughs> yes. So what I always had to do was take notes in session, and. That was kind of some people would be like, oh, you write during session. And I'm like, yes, because I'm sitting there for an hour listening to somebody intently. There's things that I'm going to need to remember. But the psychiatrist is like, yeah, I don't know that you're like dumb or, or really that you can't retain information. I think sometimes you might forget where you put it in your brain. And that's kind of, and then you have anxiety about that. And then so I, that's a long winded way for me to say, like, yeah, I think a lot of times people are trying to fit in to a world in a system, like learning systems. Like I can learn something by doing it really well. If I'm just reading a book, a self-help book or like what a book on trauma, yeah, I might pick up some things. But how I learn is by like then taking that information and going and practicing yeah. it. And that's really helpful for me. But when we were growing up, Teachers weren't like, okay, what kind of learners are you? They're like, sit down and let's put this projector on and we're going to just whatever. Yeah. So I like the 
almost it's it's permission to re-establish or go back and look at like yeah you survived the world but maybe you don't have to feel like you're keep you keep surviving in a world that might need some adjusting to you individually yeah of course i mean i think that you know i see it both ways i've never been a teacher but i know it's a hard as hell job oh yeah however i think that schools would do well to understand that there are different ways that you can learn. I mean, I'm not an auditory learner. I'm a visual learner. And so if you were to tie this always happened to me in yoga class, like when I took yoga, it's like I can't understand what the teacher is saying, where to put this, where to put that. But if I watch the teacher do it, so I always had to sit in the part of the classroom where I could watch the teacher. I was an athlete in college and high school. And so I was great. Like if I saw the coach do something or demonstrate it, I could do it. But if they tell you, you know, put your hand here, do it like this, I, you know, and I can't. But, you know, that was never identified. None yeah. of these things are identified. And and it's not that everybody needs to be tested, I don't think. Right. It's that there needs to be an understanding that okay, like, you know, this person learns like this and this person learns like this and all of those are valid ways of learning. But I also know that, you know, within a public school system that is strapped for resources and cash, that that is unlikely to be the case. I'm sure it's much more now, you know, when I've been in more, you know, contemporary classrooms, you definitely see that there's a sort of like a broader spectrum that is that is accommodated, but it's certainly not everybody. And that and that's really hard because what are you supposed to do if you're not a traditional learner? How can you thrive? You know, I was the same way as you mentioned you you were. It was like I did fine in school. But then everything kind of blew up when I got into middle school and you really had to sort of manage your time in a different way and you had to get from class to class and you had to remember your books and remember your, you know, locker combination and like my executive functioning was just like in the toilet. And then my parents, you know, recognized that I was really struggling, I think, and would have would do much better in a smaller environment. So they sent me to a much smaller school and I did great there. And, you know, and it wasn't because they were necessarily like, let's like learn about you. You know, it was like, actually, we're just we're just like being humane and being like, okay, like this is a good project for you. All right. You do that project. You want to do this thing? Go. Okay. Go do this thing. You don't want to sit in a row. You don't have to. You you don't want to have to like ask to get a pass to go to the bathroom because it's embarrassing. But nobody needs to ask for a pass to go to the bathroom. Just go. Like we trust you. You can't do that in a giant school where kids kids may or may not light the bathroom on fire you know right right exactly something that makes me crazy is when people say well i had this career before but it was a waste and that's where the perspective shift comes that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now this is she pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. 
It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiment and Billy made raisins dance. so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to catch you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so I have a couple just, they're not simple, but I just have a couple questions I kind of want to just like run through and, and get your idea on some of these. So one of them is I kind of want to split this up into like you personally and then like if there is a broader way to answer this of in what ways do you feel like you throughout your life and even now are misunderstood by your close community and just the broader public? So my partner has a 19 year old child who is autistic and this kid will correct you if you say just the tiniest thing wrong and I find it to be so irritating. And I'm like, what's wrong with this kid? Like, stop correcting me. And then I toggle back to my youth. Uh, and I toggle back to three days ago, you know, where I do the same exact thing. And it's not, there. there's this weird, like, I think in my brain and and perhaps in other autistic brains, like, a need to have correct information. And so you're not being an asshole. You're like, I'm being helpful. I'm correcting mm. the record. I'm I'm letting everyone know that this is actually the thing. But for most people, people think about it like, shut up. Like, who cares? Like, why do you have to be right all the time? I mean, that was one of the biggest things that my parents would say to me. It's like, why do you have to be right all the time? Like, you know, like, why are you such a know-it-all, you know? And like, your way isn't the best way. And I'd be like, and then I'd be real black and white about it. Like, no, but this is correct, you know, and I would fight 
endlessly and I will still do that. I will fight my corner because I'm like, no, like in an, you know, from from a practical perspective or an accounting perspective or, a, you know, whatever. I'm a black and white thinker more so than I'm an abstract thinker. And and so you get into this sort of tunnel vision and that's just how your brain works. And you're not being an asshole. You want information to be correct. Because if information isn't correct, then the whole world is confusing. So I guess that would be a sort of a, a, like a misunderstanding. Also that, you know, I am loud and obnoxious because I am choosing to be obnoxious. Like I'm trying to get attention or I'm this or I'm that. It's like, First of all, I can barely even I, I can't hear how loudly I'm speaking. Like I have no idea. And so, you know, my my partner often is like, shh, like and and sort of pats her hand out, like, lower the volume, you know? And and I'm like, oh my God, I had no idea that I was basically shouting. Um, and so it isn't again, like it's not like being obnoxious. It's like, oh, I just had no idea. I had no idea. Well, that's important and good to say of like yeah, when people see somebody who is louder volume-wise or has a has a bigger personality or just in general, there is a lot of times that like, ugh, they're just trying to get attention, which like from a therapist's perspective, I have a problem with that statement in general. Or like they're doing, yeah, they're doing this on purpose. Like to hear you say like, I have no idea until somebody lets me know. Yeah. And when somebody lets me know, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Like, uh, that's an okay thing to do. So, I, yeah, thanks for both of those. Or, yeah, the. Um, I mean, it's it's okay to correct if it's nice. If it's not like, right. it's not like, I remember sitting next to a guy. I have a very loud laugh. That is not something I can control. Like, I, I know it's loud. I can't do anything about it. I find a lot of things funny. I love laughing. I'm, I'm a generally sort of joyful person. And, you know, I remember I, I went to see a musical in New York City. And, you know, I'm sitting next to this man and every time I would laugh, he would grab his ear and like bend it away from me, you know, and I, I'm like, I felt bad, but also don't be a jerk. You know, I, I don't know what he was supposed to do in that situation, but asking somebody like, hey, do you, do you think you could like turn the volume down a little bit? I wouldn't mind because I know I'm loud but not everybody feels comfortable or knows how to do knows how to issue a corrective in a kind way yeah that's a little bit passive aggressive the like exaggerated like <laughs> grabbing your ear yeah yeah it was i mean look i whatever it's a stranger i'll never see him again this is kind of along the same lines but in your opinion so this is your opinion it doesn't have to be factual what are the main misconceptions that you hear or see around autism in general? I think the biggest one is that autistic people have no empathy. It's actually the complete opposite. Autistic people are flooded with empathy, are flooded with emotions. Autistic people are able to read other people's emotions often in, in sort of group settings like very, very well. The challenge is that then people are overloaded with emotion and then they become unable to manage the emotion that they've just taken in, right? So moving through the world with an autistic brain is like walking through through the world with your first layer of skin removed. You're extremely sensitive. It's extremely sensitive to criticism to 
sensory things to other people's feelings and emotions. And that often paralyzes you. And so it isn't a lack of emotion. It isn't a lack of empathy. It's actually an, a surplus. Mm. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, I had actually would have thought the opposite. Right. And I think I think and, and the reason why is because autism is a communication challenge and it's a social challenge. Mm-hmm. And so you aren't actually able to express the feeling that you're having. And oftentimes then like your bucket fills up way faster than other people. But you don't know how to discharge that or you don't have the tools to discharge that, or it just doesn't work to try to sort of unload some of that emotion. And people have meltdowns or, you know, shutdowns or or whatever, where it's just like everything is too much. Like you just, you, your bucket fills up, it's pouring over, like, and it, you can get there way faster than other people. I mean, for me, like I, I'm, I'm, I have a real sensitivity towards animals and I can cry on the spot if I see an animal being mistreated. Mm. My partner and I were in Savannah and I can't stand like the Central Park horses or whatever, like the, those carriage rides. I can't stand. It breaks my heart into a thousand pieces. And I saw one and I just started, I just burst into tears and it's like a full sort of body meltdown. And it's not something that you can control because it's like, just the sort of experience of of something upsetting is is so much greater. Like you have emotional dysregulation. And so some things, mm-hmm. you know, people might think, oh, you should have some emotion around this and you don't have any. And other people would think, oh, well, you have too much emotion over that. You know, like, you're, you, I don't know what. I mean, my sort of uh, comparison there fell flat because I lost my own thread. But but really, it's like it's like it's. Not neurotypical people view autistic people as like having too much or too little emotion when really it's just sort of a regulation issue. Yeah. Well, an expression too. I think that, yeah, that, like it's there, but maybe there's not a way for everybody to be able to communicate it the way somebody else might expect you to. So that means it must not be there or it must be whatever. We make up our own assumptions about that. Your explanation made me think of this TikTok video I was watching and I can't recount the video because I understand the point of it but i don't remember the example they gave but it was from one of the cast members of the show love on the spectrum what do you think about that show i mean that's a real third rail uh i think because i think the sort of prevailing belief in sort of neurodivergent circles is you know nothing about us without us meaning don't don't have neurotypical people making media about neurodivergent people um, in the same way that, you know, look, Brendan Fraser is in a movie called The Whale and he plays the 600 pound gay man. And there are a lot of mm. like fat gay actors who are like, excuse me, I wouldn't have had to wear a fat suit. Why didn't you hire me? Like, that is actually my experience. Why are you making a thing sort of about somebody like me without me? And I think we see that sort of in more and more in media. But, you know, so something like Love on the Spectrum is like, okay, at, at my, this is only my opinion. Uh, at its heart, the show feels sort of kind and generous because really, it, I think, what it's trying to do 
is allow people a vehicle to connect who otherwise would have had a challenge connecting. But the I think that the difficulty is that it puts it on display for other people to consume and What's the entertainment? as entertainment and it allows people to continue to other autistic yeah. people and say, well, it, it could be infantilizing and it could allow people to put distance between themselves and people with any kind of developmental disability. Mm-hmm. I think if if people want connection with somebody else romantic or otherwise, and don't know how to get that connection, it's really great to have resources to help do that. Should it necessarily be filmed for Netflix? I don't know. I mean, I think, like, everybody everybody consented to it, so... Right. Well, yeah, I refused to watch it for a while because I was like, that's... I didn't understand the premise of it either. I just, like, saw the title. But I was like, that just doesn't seem right. Then I ended up watching it, and my perspective was... I don't know if it should be for entertainment. I got I got a lot of inf- information from it. Was it entertaining too? Yes. And I think that's the part where it like it feels both of those things and so that feels like wrong. There was a lot of education in it and it did offer a lot of like perspective that a lot of people wouldn't have known. And at the same time, what you said is it's continuing this like idea of other and this is this thing that doesn't belong in this box, so we're going to keep it over here in this box. Right. So I've had this internal is this okay? Is this not okay? And I think it's just is neither. Right. I mean, I guess sort of take out, take out autism and put in anything else. Deaf people, blind people, wheelchair users. Would that sort of inherently feel exploitative? Would it like what? That's the word. That's what it is. Exploitive. Would it feel like, you know, I mean, I'm like, I need to do my own love on the spectrum and just like a whole series about like my dating life because there are, you know, look, there's there's a lot that is sort of hilarious about having, you know, a brain that works differently when dating feels very conventional. You know, there there are ways that you there's a way that you talk to somebody. There's a way that you approach somebody and like. I had no idea even like, wait, what do you mean? What does going out for drinks mean? Like, I'm going to get hungry. (laughs) Can we just have dinner? And you don't realize, like, wait, the reason why you go out for drinks is so you can only be there for like 15 minutes if you don't like the person, (laughs) you know? So like, so I was, you know, if somebody suggested to me we should go out for drinks, I'd be like, oh, why? how about dinner or lunch or like a thing, you know? And you're like, no, actually, there's like a formula to this. But you don't sort of, you know, there there are these sort of social cues or whatever that you don't pick up on. And so I always think like, man, if you were to see my love on the spectrum, like you'd, you know, really get a kick of that because it's 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 real silly. <laughs> well, and I think, yeah, it, that feels less if you're creating it. It's not exploitive. And I think that, yeah, I think that's what it, it, I kept feeling. It's a, I'm glad you used that word. It, this feels like it, it's exploiting this thing for money. If it was just an educational tool to help awareness and all that, that's one thing. Yeah. I mean... But in our world, it's hard to do that. Yeah, too. you know, Money I have a real like beef about sort of autism awareness writ large because it's like everybody is aware that autism exists, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Like, like what we need actually is for people to stop thinking that one, there's some cure that people need to be cured. Two, that like there are many ways of moving through this world, and people's lives can be made 
measurably better by accommodations of all kinds. I got the idea to send, you know, a language guide to you from my friend Catherine May, who's an author who is also autistic, and she has a much more sort of extensive list of accommodations when she does speaking engagements and whatnot. And one of them is like, please don't hug me. Right. And we assume mm-hmm. everyone's fine with getting hugs or handshakes or whatever. And I'm sure the pandemic has changed that. But it's like, you know, it's it, there are people who have different feelings and needs and whatever. And it's OK to just be like, hey, are you a hugger? Uh, no. OK, cool. Like, no problem. Like, hey, elbow bump, whatever. You know, when I was a kid, I hated being hugged by strangers. I could not stand it. And I really hated when adults would say, oh, just give this person a hug. It's like, why? Why would I hug you? I don't know you. And so now when I engage with children, like my friends' kids, you know, I'm like, they'll say, oh, give Auntie Lauren a hug. I'm like, no, 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 no. If you don't want to give me a hug, you don't have to. Like, you do have to acknowledge that I'm leaving. You do have to acknowledge that I've arrived. So you can say hi or you can, you know, wave bye or we can give a fist bump or whatever. But there's just like a million accommodations or a million different ways of doing things. I don't have to make eye contact with you to show you that I'm paying attention. I could be an active listener. I could tell you in advance, hey, I'm, I don't really do eye contact, um, but I am paying attention to you. So please do know that. You know, there are a lot of ways that we can signal to other people and that other people can signal to us that like difference is okay and it can be accommodated. That's the awareness that we need. That's the it's awareness. Like, yeah. It's not that it exists and that, oh, if you just use like this vitamin and then it'll go away or something like that. It's like, no, actually, like the people who need to be aware are the people who who want to change neurodivergent people, that they need to be aware that that's not on the table. And what is on the table is them changing their own behavior. It's not up to me to change how I am. You know, it's up to you to just be a little bit more engaged and curious about the ways that we all operate in the world. Yeah. Less assumptions that like you are like me or you should be like me. Right. I like that. So thank you for that. I I had at the I wanted to do at the end a little like rapid fire thing, but we don't have time. So I'm going to just do one of the questions and it doesn't have to be rapid fire because like who can actually do that? Not me. But the one that I was the most curious about is what is the easiest way to make you smile or bring you joy? Well, first of all, a dog is always going to do it. Like 100%. I'm a dog person. There is not really any dogs that I don't like. I mean, there are some that are jerks, like for real. But but I, I love a dog and little kids are endlessly hilarious. To me, I have a three year old nephew and I'm just like, who even are you? You're like a full person. You've only been on this planet for three years. And I will laugh endlessly at anything a kid does or so. I'm like the worst auntie, though, because I encourage bad behavior. Oh, I'm the same way. I'm like, I egg it on. And I'm like, wait, that's just funny. Let them do that again. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I'm like, cannot wait until like he's older and I can just like buy him lots of stuff that he's interested in and that like his parents are like, but we told him he couldn't have that. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't tell auntie that. So (laughs) that's going to be me as well. I love that. I'm like, I, I wonder if like if I was a parent, if I would be the same way. I hope so because I think it's fun. I, but it's I'm so like, fun. But then you have I... to be the disciplinarian. You have to like be yeah. like the authority figure. And I'm like, I'm the adjacent adult. That's how I feel, and I love being an adjacent adult because I'm like, yeah, because you are afforded different 
you know, different sort of rights and responsibilities. And it's totally fun. I mean, kids are aghast. They're always hilarious. Dogs are hilarious to me. Like, I find videos of people, like, falling hilarious or, like, getting, like, just eating shit, you know, like, falling, eating shit. I love stuff like that. I'm, like, such a child, you know? My friend put in put on uh you know when we got into his car the other day it was a spotify of just fart sounds and i was howling laughing you know and i'm like what i'm <laughs> this is what brings me joy i'm i i should yeah. be better than that i'm an adult but oh well <laughs> no no um well thank you so much where can people find you and your podcast and both of your podcasts because the one the, the first one i sounded very interesting to me i would like to listen to that as well so The Loudest Girl in the World is available uh, everywhere you get your podcasts. The other show that I have that just came out is called Find Gorilla Person, and that is on Audible, and that is a pay service, but you can get a free trial if you're smart. Um, and I am on all social media at Ober and Out, so hit me up. By the way, when I saw that was your handle, I was like, this is so good. <laughs> I try. My brother's good. is at Oberkill, uh, so, you know, his 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 is a you little bit more a aggressive. Name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my last name is Defada. There's not like a play on words for that, so. But I bet when you were a kid, you got called Cat Fats or something like that. Oh, uh, Catherine DeFata. Yeah, Catherine DeFata. Yeah. It, some people did it on accident, but there was a group of mean kids of that did it on purpose. Of course. And I will never forget that. Of course. Them. Of course. And they, you know where they are now? Nowhere. I don't know. Pro- hopefully. Sometimes They're I dead. do want to call them out because I remember their names, but I'm like, Catherine, find your inner peace. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're not worth it. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.